Thank you all for being here this morning. Um, if Last time we were here, we had a good time. Uh, by last time we were here, when I got to, when I had the opportunity to come up here and preach, it was, uh, it was fun. I had like some feedback. Can y'all give that to me again? Okay, about 30% gave me a little bit of feedback. Can I get some feedback again this time? Okay, that's what I'm talking about. And remember, if you don't know what to say, it's, that's okay. Just kind of take a page from my book and just like, just say whatever comes out of your mouth. You know what I mean? For a long time, me and my friends group, to remind you, we used to say hot dog when something was good. So you go, you eat a good hot dog, what do you say? Hot dog, you know. You win the lottery, hot dog, you know. Someone says a profound truth about Jesus Christ and the transformative power of the Holy Spirit in your life that will change you forever, hot dog, you know what I mean? So if you don't know what to say, you can share my word with me, okay? Um, all right. One person gets it. <laughs> That's enough. I'm just kidding. Thank you all for being here. Our, uh, uh, we're talking about surrender this morning. We're talking about surrender. Um, and, he, and, and here's the here's the crazy thing about surrender is that we're not good at it. We're not good at it. Um, and 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 we've like culturally, we've never surrendered. And and even the times that there has been like like a, a defeat in our nation or, or or some sort of like fighting force, like we put a spin on it to where we can still be like, remember the Alamo? <laughs> like we uh, we surrendering's hard. It's hard culturally, and then also in our in our culture, it's seen as weakness to surrender. Rather die fighting than surrender. Right, never give up, never surrender. This is a, it's a, um, Tidy fight never dies. Grant, say it. Oh, I thought he was going to say hot dog. <laughs> you, hey, TFND works though. Same, it's the same, uh, kind of. <laughs> um, Matthew chapter 26. That's where we're going to be this morning. And we're talking about surrender and we're going to see a profound level of surrender. Physically, and spirit. Uh, in Matthew chapter 26, verse 39, we see he went on a little further and bowed with his face to the ground, praying, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not me. This is the word of the Lord. Let me give you some. Let me skip a few verses ahead. It said, they're in the, they go to Jesus and his followers, they're going to a garden to pray. They're going to the Garden of Gethsemane. And, uh, and it says in a few verses before, it says, Then Jesus went with them to an olive grove called Gethsemane. And he said, Sit here while I go over there to pray. He took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John. He became anguished and distressed. He told them, My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watching. Then he went on a little further and bowed with his face to the ground, praying, My Father, if it's possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from you. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then he returned to his disciples and found them asleep. That'd probably be me. <laughs> you, uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I've developed a profound skill at falling asleep Anywhere. 
especially since we had our second child. If you have a couch and you have me over and I sit on it, I'm falling asleep. It'll happen. Just last night we were over at our friend's house, the Zafkies, because they have two little boys and our little boy was playing and, and they were all doing Legos and they wanted to play a game called Mario Kart where you race, you're in a little cartoon race car and you go, and they said, Spencer, you're so good at video games. Will you teach us everything you know and will you race with us? I said, absolutely. And I was so excited and I was energized and my son and I, we play this game at our house. So my he, he said, he's going to show us how to really play. He talked me up. I was like, and I am. And so then I sat down on the couch and I was. we were about one lap. You have to do three to finish. And after one lap, I'm like, I lost. My son was like, Dad, you're supposed to show them how good you are at video games. So, yeah, you have a you have a couch, I'll fall asleep. And I feel like if I was with Jesus late at night, and he said, hey, stay awake, keep watch. Would you pray? I'm going to go over here and pray. I want you guys to pray over here. I feel like if that happened, I, I would probably fall asleep. I want to, I, I think, I try to disillusion myself when I read myself into Scripture, if I was one of the disciples, if I was in there, if I was part of that story, how would have I reacted? And it's so easy because what I want to do is assume that I'd be like a hero. Because I write myself how I want to be able to see myself. You know what I mean? Oh, I would have stayed. I would have gotten a good night's sleep the night before so that just in case Jesus said we're going to stay up and pray, I'd be able to. <laughs> no, that wouldn't happen. I would have fallen asleep. Um. We see Jesus in a profound posture, spiritually and physically, of surrender. He said, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me, yet I want your will to be done, not mine. I think that's, I think that's profound. I think we can take something away from this. And I think that one of the things we always see Jesus doing is being honest. And so before we move forward, I want to be honest with each other and with God. My son on the way home last night from our friend's house, we were just in the car, and he, he'd lost some toy, and it was getting close to his bedtime, and one of his toys fell on the floorboard of the truck, and, and he, was, he was upset and throwing a little fit. So I'm trying to, like, distract, improvise, adapt, overcome. Like I'm trying to, trying to distract him from his fit. And I said, Forrest, you were telling me the other day, what do you want to do when you grow up? When you, and a few days ago, he had said one of the most precious things my heart's ever heard. He said, when I grow up, I want to be a dad like you. Like, oh, my God. And so I was just trying to, like, kind of derail the tantrum. I said, Forrest, what were you saying? What do you want to do when you grow up? And he kind of was crying, and he went, I want to fix fans. I said, okay. I said, where'd that come from? He goes, I saw it on the TV. A guy was fixing a fan, and it fell. And he had a mad look on his face. And I want to be able to fix this fan. I said, oh, okay. And then just the, he's kind of started to stop crying. And I said, okay, we can go, we can go somewhere from here. And I said, um, is there anything else that you want to do when you get older? And he goes, I don't know, Dad. I just want to walk around. And I, was laugh, I laughed about it. But then as I was laying in bed and I thought to myself, how often do we treat our relationship with Christ and our goals and where we want to be and what we want to do in the future 
like that. I, I just want to walk around. And we don't put much thought into it. And we, there's not much follow through on it. And we just find ourselves going through the motion. Where do you want to be with Christ this year in 2024? What goals do you have to, to, to move closer to His kingdom, to have it built in your heart? Uh, what, uh, what aspirations do you have to know Jesus more? Or do you find yourself where the only real goal that you have in your relationship with your Lord and Savior is, I don't know, I guess I'll just walk around. So I just want to take a moment and say, let's be intentional about this. Let's, let's, let's admit that we can sometimes, just a lot of the times, just go through the motions. I think that if I've ever want, if I've ever caught myself going through the motions, the the first step towards getting out of that habit is acknowledging, hey, I've I've been going through the motions. And so, Lord God, we pray this morning, Holy Spirit, would you move us? And it may hurt, and it may be uncomfortable, but would we would we not be the same leaving going out as we were when we were coming in? Amen. And so, uh, I looked up the word Gethsemane, and it means oil press. The garden where the oil is pressed is probably olive garden. And uh, it's known as the place of crushing. How relevant. Jesus chooses the best places to, to have experiences that we can glean from. Uh, Gethsemane means oil press, and it's the place of crushing. Um, have you ever found yourself in a place of crushing before? Have you ever been, have you ever, I mean, we've all, to some degree, we've experienced tragedy. Whether it's like my son, whose his tragedy was, he dropped a toy into the floorboard. Um, but there's real tragedy in this room. There's real heartbreak, there's real burden, there's real suffering, there's, there's, there's a legit, there's a sobering reality that that no matter how nice of a sweatshirt we wear that says Pastor Taco on it, or how straight your tie is, or how nice your hair is, we are broken shards of glass gathered in a room trying not to cut each other, saying, "I need Jesus." Amen. Someone say hot dog to that. And so, so we find ourselves in places of crushing. Um, as a, I'll speak for, for myself and for all the men in the room, a place of crushing that we've experienced one time or another is when we've had a fever. When men have fever, it's overwhelming. You wouldn't understand. We can't function anymore. We, we can't even go to the doctor. We can't even take our medicine. Just let us die. When men have a fever, it's a place of crushing to us. Uh, and when, I, when I'm cold, or it's not even just a fever. It's like whenever, I'm, whenever I feel bad, I, maybe, it's a maybe it's like I'm really congested with a stuffy nose or a sore throat. Or like sometimes I get really stressed, I'll get an ulcer in my mouth. And it's there, and I can't escape it. And I begin to think to myself, I don't even remember what it was like to not have an ulcer. Or when I've had a fever and I'm, and I'm laying, on, laying in my bed or on the couch, 
like a wounded animal on its deathbed in the final throes. And my wife, Kendra, she's trying to comfort me. I don't even remember what it's like to live. It's as if the world doesn't have any color. I'm hot. And I can't, I can't even remember what it was like to feel good. When this is never going to end, right? The, the, the shallow place of crushing. <laughs> but on a more serious note, I think that whenever you're in a place of crushing, that's a, that's, man, I'm going to, I'm going to reveal, I'm going to pull back the curtain. Men can overreact sometimes when we have fevers. Okay. But when you're in a, a legitimate place of crushing, I believe it shares a little bit of the experience that when you're in the crushing, it's difficult to remember what it was like when you were not in the crushing. Does that resonate with you? When you're in that place of, of burden and life is heavy, it's difficult to remember what it was like before you were caring. When Jesus is in this crushing place, he assumes a posture of surrender, physically and spiritually. It's always been profound to me um, that Jesus, uh, when he goes through a deep, when when there's some sort of deep moving emotion or or his heart or or something that Jesus has passion about, it'll always start here first with Jesus. And the movement here causes his action. Causes his action. And I think that, that one of the things I've I've grown up I don't remember you know, I've I've heard what school used to be like before I had gone to school in high school. I went to school, I graduated two thousand and ten from Tyvee, BFND. And and I was on the cusp of like now youth when they go like Kids when they go to school, they can like have their phones out because it's because it's so it permeated itself into the culture that it's actually like now that teachers will say, okay, get your phone out and use the calculator on your phone to help. We're going to learn this math equation. There's stuff like that happening, and and that's so foreign to me. And I'm sure that there's things that my generation did when we were in school that are foreign to you. But one of the things that always that I heard someone say this, and it profoundly impacted my heart. It profoundly impacted how um, my wife and I father and uh, mother our children. And it was if you want if you want prayer to be brought back into our schools, then bring the prayer rail back into your house. Bring the prayer rail back into your house. Hot dog. Oh, that's a convicting hot dog. <laughs> um, my, my, our children see us. They see how we drive. They see how we talk when we drive. They see how we act when we're frustrated. And do they see how we pray? Do they see how we pray? Um, when Jesus is in this crushing place, there's a physical and spiritual surrender. There's not just a conviction to want something. There's a conviction that moves him to act. And so um, I think that there's a there's a... There's a practice, there's a pattern, there's a template when, that what we see here in Scripture that we can follow with Jesus to, to surrender our agenda 
and to take up what Jesus wants in our life. And I believe that one of the things that happens in verse 39 of chapter 26 is that Jesus is honest and then speaks truth in his desire. He's honest and then speaks truth in his desire. He says, my father, if it's possible, let this cup be taken away from He's being honest with God. Father, this is difficult. And I, if it's possible, take this away from me. Yet I want your will and not mine. So that he's, Jesus is, is, is profoundly honest with his Father, but still willing to say, this is what I want, but I want your want over my own. Um, and I wrote a couple of examples down. Um, there's honesty and then truth with desire. And so before we go over a couple examples of honesty and surrendering, um, the first steps towards God are always honest. They're always honest. Um, I think that when you first say that, you think, okay, yeah, I think that's true. But then as you begin to go into your prayer closet at home, as you begin to find whatever works as a prayer, prayer rail at your house in private, and you begin to be honest with God, you find, we can find it to be difficult. We find it to be difficult. To, um, so before we do some corporate honesty here, um, I want you to know that God knows you. He knows you. He knows you so much, and He loves you so much, He can't take His eyes off you. He's, seen, he's watched you your entire life. Um, and you've never shocked him. You've never shocked him. You've never, you've never done something or said something in prayer that you were nervous about saying out loud before or acknowledging to another person. You've never, you've never done something that God, it made God go, oh, I never saw that coming. Uh, he sees your heart. He sees your heart. He knows you intimately and personally. He knows your desires. The good ones that you want. The, the ones for your career and the, ones, the good things that you want for yourself. He knows the good things that you want for others. And he also knows the bad things. He knows the bad things that you desire. And he knows the things that you've desired that aren't good for you that you've acted on. He knows those things about me. And, and, and here's the crazy thing about it is, and he's preparing to run to you when you begin the journey back home. And he's going to meet you when you are still a long way off from coming home. Despite everything he knows about you. He spent his time yearning for you to come home so that he can run to you while you're still far away. I had a I had a great conversation. One of my friends in high school, um, I hadn't talked to him in five plus years, and my wife and I had moved to Costa Rica, and and we weren't we our friend group never really rolled together in high school, but we knew of each other, and we were kind of always friendly and acquaintances and stuff. We run into each other on the golf course. And we start to hang out more, and then we went, I invited him to go on a retreat, and we go on this retreat together, and um, and 
we had this profound moment of vulnerable. I'm going to be vulnerable with you here. Um, I didn't always make the smartest decisions in high school, and neither did he. And um, uh, he he was over. We were over at a friend's house that we were having a ministry meeting for for our college group, the Yams, the young adult ministry at our church, and we were having this meeting at this house and. My friend and I looked at each other because the last time we were in this house together, it was for a party when we were in high school. And now we're at this person's house, and it's like this prayer meeting to pray for the upcoming semester and pray for the students and pray for... We're, we're, we're gathered in a circle, crying over the salvation of college students in our community. And my friend and I looked at each other kind of like, well, this is a little... This has been a turnaround. <laughs> And one of the things that when the meeting was done and, and, you know, some of our leaders had left and it was just him and I talking, we, I said, isn't it crazy that while we were here so many years ago, the Lord saw that and his response was, I'm going to plan a blessing for you. There's nothing that I can hide from God that he's not going to look at and say, I am going to work this for your favor if you'll just come be with me. And so he's prepared to run to you despite knowing you're still a long way off. And so we have to tell God the stuff he already knows. And so here's the other thing. Every prayer you've ever prayed has been a prayer that he, he already knows. It's like when, you're, when your child tells you about their day at school, but you have like their progress. Like, I don't know, sometimes we'll, we'll talk to the teacher at his pre-K class. And we'll say, hey, you, what did y'all do today? And she'll go, oh, we did an activity with a hand paint and made a picture. and. Oh, and, and your son, he, he had a really fun time playing with the train. And I go, okay, great. And then in the car ride home, I'm talking to my son. I go, hey, so what would you do today? And he starts telling me things that I already know. Does that mean that I don't want to hear him? No, I love hearing his voice, and I love him telling me about what he's doing, even though I already know it. I believe that that mechanism exists between us and our Heavenly Father as well. He loves to hear about it. What's going on in your life, even if he already knows it? Um, well, I get to, I get to the privilege and the honor, and sometimes I feel um, ill-equipped for it. But I get to like counsel and advise young adults working with college students. I get, to, and so I've had students that say, "Spencer, can I come talk?" Yes, and we'll come and talk. And I find the easiest way to, to do that is by focusing on listening a whole lot. My wife is like, yeah, you think? I need to listen more to my wife, too. And so where someone say, hot dog. <laughs> and, so I'm, and so I'll sit there and I'll listen to a college student. I've had this conversation over and over and over. I'll listen to a college student. And, and when they're done, my, the first thing I'll say is, thank you for sharing this with me. Have you shared this with Jesus? And usually there's kind of like this, like, well, like, why would I tell Jesus? And then we, I say, well, why, why wouldn't you go? Well, he already knows about all of this. I go, yeah, but that doesn't mean he doesn't want to hear it from you. Have you told Jesus? Have you been honest with Jesus? Just like you were honest with me. Have you had that honest conversation with Jesus yet? Um, a surrendered heart is an honest heart. Um, I've been trying to let them, and so let's, now I have a couple of examples of, of a surrendering that can happen that I think are, is prevalent in our culture, in our community, and relevant to this room right now. And so uh, 
this will be like this will kind of be prayer, but our eyes are open. Maybe you can close your eyes if you want. You can do whatever you want with your eyes. Um, but I have a couple of examples of just what I think is is relevant to our souls and the climate of today. Um, a surrendering is an honest heart, and so maybe you find yourself. You think I've been trying to let the momentum of an experience or a retreat from five years ago, maybe maybe ten or thirty years ago. I've been trying to let the momentum of a past retreat or experience from long ago continue to carry my soul. Jesus, would you come and do it again? Would you create a new the flame in my chest to burn in such a powerful way that even in my calamity I can testify again of your glory. The honesty of where I'm at and then the truth and the desire of God, but I want your will over mine. Would you come and in the midst of my life fan the flame anew? Or maybe, here's one, this one, this one, I, I should read this every single day. I've grown complacent and not even realized it. I've settled into a pattern religiously. And I've convinced myself I don't need to do anything different because I've grown comfortable and happy with where I am. I don't long for your spirit like I did before. I'm not surrendered. I don't weep in prayer for the salvation of younger generations. I find myself instead becoming frustrated. And I've convinced myself I deserve it. Jesus, breathe on me, your Holy Spirit. I'm surrendering again. Would you rebuild the furnace for my soul to rest within? And like a bellows, would your will ignite a passion to love more, to turn the cheek, and to show unwarranted patience the desire Jesus for people that are different than me. Honesty of where I'm at and truth and desire for what I want the Lord to offer. Um, I wrote down here that there's, I believe that there's no room in surrender to tell Jesus what to do. There's no room within surrender to try to tell Jesus what to do. And what I mean by that is that we can ask Him to do things, but I think that our posture of surrender, physically and spiritually, is important and that it matters. And that I have to, one of the things in the surrendering that I have to personally give up is, is the surrendering of my agenda, of what I think should be done of the way that it's supposed to happen and say Jesus I, I want your desire for my life and I want to leave and I want your desire so much so that even when I find myself convinced of your desire in my life I will always make room for my heart to accept that I might have misinterpreted and I'll be open and willing to change my understanding because I realize that I'm not as good at hearing and knowing you as I think.
And with Jesus, we see again, over and over, and in the garden, a profound level of honesty, yet a desire in truth for God to move. My Father, if it's possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away. I think that a a relevant, difficult truth to acknowledge for us is to say, Lord God, I doubt you. I doubt you. I doubt you. Every time I've had an anxious thought has been a moment of doubt of your faithfulness. But God, I want your will in my life. I love what the man said. He said, Jesus, I believe, but help my unbelief. It's a difficult and it's, and, and it's, it's alarming because it goes against all of the, all of the things we build our religion around to acknowledge I have doubts. And I have insecurities. But Lord God, despite those doubts, I want your will in my life. And so I don't think that Jesus had any faith insecurities, but I believe that he was able to be honest with his Father. God, would you let this cup pass from me? But I want your will over mine. Would you join me as we continue our prayer initiative this month and as we continue as a faith community to seek after Jesus? Would we together operate with a posture physically and spiritually as neighbors of surrender for God's will to show unwarranted patience and grace? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, would you open our eyes to see Jesus as the surrendered servant? And would we be able to emulate him? Come, Holy Spirit. We pray that there would be profound change. And would it start in us, despite our insecurities, despite our vulnerabilities, Would there be radical change because your Holy Spirit is moving? Would you breathe on us once more and bring new life? In the name of Jesus.